Hello and welcome to the Theology Meets Reality podcast, the podcast for people who seek to follow Christ in the midst of the messiness of life and parenting. We are Lisa and Greg Casimir, and we are not afraid to deviate from the norm of culture, even Christian culture, to make sure that we are applying what we believe about God to how we live. This is season two of our podcast, where we're talking about finding hope in suffering. This is a difficult but important topic that we want to cover because distinguishing what God has to say on suffering compared to what we hear from culture will give us help for our own suffering and the grace and power to help others. One of the beautiful truths about suffering is that God enters into it with us, and many times it's through the cracks of pain in our lives that God's light shines brightest. In this episode, episode 10, we're talking about grief. God is our ultimate source of comfort in times of grieving and even lets us see him grieving. Thanks for listening in on our discussion. We pray that it will be meaningful to you. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Greg. How are you doing? Good. We're like, how can we discuss grief with, <laughs> without sounding overly depressing? We're hoping we'll do a good job. Yes. So today's topic is fitting and like feels heavy on our shoulders. We had a friend who we were praying for their sister who was sick for a long time, who we found out last night passed away. And it just feels like great. Like it's obviously like very much secondary grief, but it's just this grief. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> it's very real to us. Yeah. The, you know, we obviously have no idea what the, the, firsthand loss is like but to have been you know praying for healing for some time uh and then to find out that um it was her time uh, it's just difficult to you know process i guess and yeah it's it's such a relevant topic because like grief is something we experience as humans and people around us are experiencing grief all the time and it's hard to talk about and we don't know what to say and it's important to figure out what we're, what scripture has to say about it. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to start by jumping right in with a quote that really resonated with me the first time I heard it. And it's this, that all grief is homesickness. It is a good quote. And it's, I, I, I really liked it uh, when you first told it to me and it's, it still rings true today. And um, if I'm remembering correctly, the idea is that um, the things in life that cause us to feel grief, um, it, it's homesickness because these things would not happen in heaven with God or in the perfect, you know, in God's perfect creation, there would no, would be no suffering. Uh, and these type of types of things would not be experienced by us. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we have this longing built within us for things that we don't experience here. Everybody does, whether you're a Christian or not. Like, how you respond to those longings are different. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to have a life without grief, without disease and pain or, you know, all the things we're talking about in our suffering series. So, but it's this, it's a homesickness. And like you said, yeah, it'll all be remedied when yeah, we go yeah. home. Yeah. So there's a lot to say on the topic of lament in the Psalms and then how Jesus grieved. And then secondly, we're going to look at grief and culture and we're going to discuss some really interesting articles on how the church deals with grief. And we're also going to share something really practical, which is what not to say to someone grieving. 
So we're going to start by looking at grief in the Bible. We know that grief is something that we will experience all of us. And of course, it's appropriate to express grief over death. That's shown in the Bible. Like, it is appropriate to express grief over death. And it's healthy to express express grief grief over death. Yeah, there's tons of examples. Some I pulled out are just like Joseph in the Old Testament grieved over the death of his father for seven days. The Israelites grieved over the death of Aaron and Moses for 30 days each. It was typical at that time to grieve for seven days in their culture, but you know, because it was Aaron and Moses were like exceptional people. They had a 30 day grief period and there's lots of other examples. So like Abraham mourned for Sarah when she died, King David mourned, etc. But we see that in the new Testament. Also lots of mourning in the new Testament. Um, Matthew chapter two is an example of fulfillment of prophecy from Jeremiah, where a huge group of people are mourning at the loss of their boys who were killed um, under Herod, King Herod's decree. And then, of course, Ecclesiastes tells us that there are times set aside for mourning and times for joy and dancing. It says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to dance, a time to mourn. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to warm, and a time to dance. Um, Secondly, we know it's appropriate to grieve over sin. This is really interesting. When I was looking through grief in the scripture, we obviously grief over death. That's something we can relate to, but grief over sin. We see this a lot in scripture, probably way more than we see it being acted out today. Like your typical... Christian life. Yeah, most likely. So when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that actually refers to grief over someone's sin, like their own sin or the sins of others. And it's connected with um, 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we are blessed when we are mourning our own sins or the sins of others. And then we see in Ezra, Ezra's grieving over sins. Jeremiah grieved over the sins of Israel. And then it's kind of interesting when we get to the part about like culture and church, like do we have this like grief over individual sin and then like communal sin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It will be interesting. <laughs> So then we have to look at what Jesus did because of his example in the New Testament. And we do see Jesus grieving. There are two examples when Jesus actually wept in in grief. He cried over grief. And one is in the instance of grief over the death of his friend Lazarus. And then the other instance is over the sins of Jerusalem. So Greg's going to like jump us into the middle of the story of Lazarus' death in John. Jesus replied, Your brother will come back to life again. Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies, and the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. 
And when she had said this, Martha went and called her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and is asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. Then the people who were with Mary in the house consoling her saw her get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. He asked, Where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Thus the people who had come to mourn said, Look how much he loved him. But some of them said, This is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? Okay, so this is super interesting because we know after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So the question is, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would he weep? That is a good question. <laughs> um, I think he wept because, like, it's, you know, to the 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 experience of loss is, it's deeply moving. And, like, the, you know, there's a, there is a pain associated with that, that obviously, like, Mary and Martha were, um, we're dealing with and we're going through. Um, yeah. Just because it was sad. It was like, yeah, that's what you're saying. yeah. 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 I think also it could be that Jesus was grieved to see the brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Too. To see the, to see the wages of sin and uh, see how it affects people like Mary and Martha. I think it's um, an interesting like principle you could take from this probably is even though you know, the future will be, happy even though there's a happy ending ahead like jesus knew that because he's god yeah. it was still appropriate to grieve at that time yeah so even though as christians like we don't grieve as though who's who have no hope like we know that there's a happy ending if you know for grieving the loss of someone um especially someone who's passed on to heaven a lot of times it's kind of like well it's going to you know it's for their good it's for our good like we'll see them in heaven but like that doesn't take away the appropriateness of grief at their loss yeah like you know we will have eternity together but we no longer have now together um and the rest of the lives for those who remain like that you know you're it's a loss and yeah. losses are hard Okay, let's look at the second example of Jesus weeping in grief. And this is from Luke 19. And he is weeping over Jerusalem. So it says, When Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If only you had known on this day, even you, the things that made for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave within you one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. So he's like prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's, I don't think that he's as sad about the destruction of a physical city as the people and their sins and their lack of recognition from like their lack of acknowledgement and acceptance of God 
and just like grief over their sin. Yeah, that he, he he was the prophesied like Messiah, and they rejected him, and they had like unimaginable joy at their doorstep, and they refused it. I know, and he like he made them. He made all people like through through Christ, all things were made, and like he was willing to die for them. So like, what grief? to see sin like rain do you know what i mean yeah. yeah it's very sad but so it's appropriate to show grief over sin as well jesus shows us in these examples like he shows emotion it's okay to have emotion and feelings he shows compassion for his friends and care and concern and then jumping back we're looking at jesus but if we jump back to the psalms you know, many of which like Jesus quoted, um, one third of the Psalms are actually Psalms of lament. So that should kind of give us an idea of like, maybe, maybe even the amount of days and the amount of time, like we would spend in lament kind of thing. Maybe not, but at least we know that for sure, like lament is appropriate and that there's, yeah. And that there's, I mean, yeah, if there's if a third of the psalms are uh, psalms of lament, then that should really communicate to us um, that like our lives shouldn't be all joy and happiness. Like that, there is going to be plenty of things that will uh, upset us, and you know that life will be hard, and there will be things to mourn and difficulties to wrestle with um as we walk the path that's set before us yeah responding to them with trying to have a happy heart kind of thing yeah or like trying to pull yourself up Mm -hmm. from your own bootstraps like sometimes you need to actually sit in your sorrow and like actually deal with those emotions um yeah that's absolutely what the psalms of lament show us um Recently, we were talking about the Psalms of Lament, and uh, it was a quote from John Stott that said, There is such a thing as Christian tears, uh, but so few of us experience them. And that, that really struck me, because I, you know, in in the, this year, in a, I, I, I found it really hard to, like, um, like, process everything that I'd gone through the year prior and then I like quit my job and then I I wasn't letting myself actually be sad about it like when I felt like my throat like you know getting like choked up and stuff because I was getting emotional like I would distract myself and go do something else and not be sad and it got to just be really unhealthy um because I needed to be sad about the things that I left behind and the friends that um, I'd spent years and years like working alongside um, that I no longer saw anymore. And it, it helped me a lot to really think through that and, you know, uh, give it up to God that like, this is what you've called me to do to, you know, walk away. Um, and I, I, you know, I 
shed tears over that because it was really hard. Um, lots of hard stuff. And it kind of just, it'll fester and like really become like even depression if you don't like deal with it. Right. So the Psalms of Lament are a really helpful tool because we cry out to God through them. And we we do that because we know he's there and because he can answer, like he can change things. And of course, like you're gaining this connection with God when you cry out to him, when you bring your pain to him. Um, And then of course, like when we see other, like when we read Psalms, we know the writers experience these like intense emotions and it allows us to see the hearts of others and give us permission. Like you were saying, like, permission to express your hearts to God. I mean, these were written by men, like, um, you know, some of them like warriors and stuff like that, like, for example, like David. And so it's like, if it was appropriate for them to have these emotions, sorrows, then it would be appropriate for us to express our emotions too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, like, another benefit of the Psalms is they give us words prayers, songs to use when we don't have words. A lot of times when we're grieving, we don't know what to say. Yeah, that's a big part. I had to, I took to writing some things down. Um, just because like, I, you know, um, it just personally felt a little bit better to like be writing it on the page because I can come mm-hmm. back and refer to it again later and just know that that's what I was going through. And I can, I could see in my life later on how things improved and what I like even got out of just writing that down that like, Oh, I like haven't thought about that in a while you mm-hmm. know? or like I wrote this down and I dated it and then I can come back to it and say like, Oh, well it was this much longer from then until things got better. Yeah. To have this like, um, space and time to mourn yeah Yeah. like um one of the great things that we know that scripture tells us like the most encouraging thing of all is that death and mourning will end forever and we know from revelation 21 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain and then from second timothy it says christ jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel so Jesus abolished death and brought life like and light and there's so much joy in that and even it's a very much like already but not yet situation like what this is the hope in the suffering that we have right right like that is all done and it is finished but it is also not here yet and so we we continue going through what we need to go through because the end is already decided So we're going to look at some like little pockets of culture and try to figure out how um, we see grief dealt with in culture and then grief in the church. So I was thinking in general, I feel like our culture can require a quick grieving process. I feel like in general. Yeah. I, well, yeah, it depends on obviously like there's, there are variances, but I feel like the, I haven't experienced a whole lot of loss in my life, but when my mom died, it felt like like that was sad then there's a funeral and people like come and then they're gone and like life just goes on and like i you know i really feel for my dad um because he's the one who's then like left alone 
Yeah, I mean, don't you feel like that's a quick grieving process? I mean, it's, it's just quick. like days from death to funeral to end of end of grief time. Right, right. And, you know, there's obviously like for individual people, there may be an extended grieving period depending on like how they come, how they get to death. But for everyone else who like comes to the funeral and stuff, like it's a rather sudden thing or whatever. And it, the culture is very brief. Uh, yeah, so you're agreeing. Yeah, with I'm me. agreeing with you. I'm just okay. I'm just saying that the individually, it can be a very long grief period, but culturally, it's, right? I'm saying, but they require of it. Like you're better now. Like the implication is that things just go back to normal. Right. Yeah. They're like, it okay, doesn't. we did the funeral, and off we go. Right. Yeah. And then also, like sometimes we can be the culture can be judgmental about how people grieve, or yeah, or just judgmental and. In, in general, of course, but there was a headline that I saw from the Guardian. It said they lost loved ones to gun violence and their grief was politicized. And of course, like you can Im- imagine how that would happen. And then I was reading about um, the children who have lost a parent to COVID. So, I mean, these numbers are like kind of old, but in America, like at least 113,000 children have lost a parent to COVID. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, well, so you've got this massive group of people. I mean, obviously people lose parents regularly, right? But um, you've got this massive group of people who have suddenly lost someone that they weren't expecting to lose. And how do we deal with like the grief there as a culture kind of thing? Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think that we do very well. Um, no, and it, it's, I mean, probably in that case, it has a lot to do with the scale of it. Like, it's just so many, like, as a culture, like we, you know, that they might fly the flags at half staff or something to mark a milestone in the number of people who died. Um, but in general, it's, it's just like, oh, that's sad that that's a thing, but it doesn't directly affect me. And so I'll move on, you know? Yeah. I feel like this is like this, this void, this need that the church can step into that is so needed in our culture. Um, Like one in the little article about children who've lost parents to COVID, like one little girl was like, felt like it was kind of her fault, which is a normal that's like a regular experience that people can have. And she didn't want to get counseling because she didn't feel like she deserved it. And it's kind of like we can like, yeah, we can't help all the kids, but like in our local area, in our community, can we help someone who has, do you know what I mean? Like can churches kind of like step up to this larger problem Yeah, yeah, and like help with that kind of grief? Um, because you're right, it can just seem too big and it's like numbers. But then these are like actual people living in actual places. And, you know, the, we've got a lot of church. So, yeah, yeah. Or a lot of Christians. Which kind of transitions us to the next part, which is like, how do we deal with grief in the church? And again, like there's subcultures that deal with it differently. But I'm, I kind of pulled out a couple articles I think are interesting for us to talk about. So one of them is um, an opinion piece called Grief Hides in the Church Bathroom. And it was by um, Caitlin Curtis. And she is talking about how 
she went to church and one of her friends, she knew her friend had lost a baby recently. And she saw that when she was in church, the friend who had suffered a loss, like went into the bathroom, like left church. And so the friend followed her out and they ended up like weeping on the floor of the bathroom. And she says, church is often like that. We celebrate together and worship, but grieve alone. She said, that Sunday wasn't the only time I've cried alone in the church bathroom, feeling invisible while the rest of the congregation celebrated. And um, she talks about kind of like her culture and, um, and just kind of like how she doesn't really feel that there's a place to grieve. She says, it talks about things like um, lament becoming a sign of weakness and lack of faith. Um, and they've heard about like platitudes from other people in the church, like to move on and get over it. And they've talked about the practices of funerals that turn into celebrations of life that can cover over like the reality of grief and loss. Right. Well, and that's, that's part of it, right? Like the, the prevailing culture is that you go to church to feel better about yourself and feel better about the, your circumstances. You don't go there to be sad. Yeah. The whole, <laughs> the idea. Yeah. Cause we're getting confused about what church is, which is not a building, but people, the body of Christ. Right. And life is full of difficulties and those are promised to us and that we're to come together and help each other with that and not just like sweep it under the rug. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'll probably uh, you know, talk about it a little bit more after we talk. We do the other article, I guess. No, I mean we can talk about it. We can discuss it in this article. It's just it's kind of hitting at the idea that like okay, church is not like a thing to go do and like get something out of it. It's not a program. It's not something that you should necessarily like have to be paid for, which yeah. gets on like a whole nother topic. But it's like if we're a group of people caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, right? Then right, yeah. I yeah. so in my in my mind when we when we were talking about this before we started, the, the image that popped into my head about like someone who's sad and grieving, uh, going to a church, like, okay, but like you can go over into like the chapel that's disused and like be sad over there. But like, or you, you come to be sad at church, like when it's not service time. Uh, don't do that on a Sunday because people are coming to be happy at church and you need to be sad somewhere else. Like, which is like what led the girl to go cry in the bathroom. That's what she says in here. She says, we have Bible studies. We sing happy worship songs telling each other it's all going to be okay because God has everything under control and we should never question the will or ways of God. So we use band-aids. We cover up our grief and hope it will go away because our sanctuaries are meant to be pristine and our services are meant to be planned and coordinated, not sloppy with tears and sadness. And she says that's why so many of us retreat to church bathrooms or to our cars in the parking lot or to other churches or outside church doors forever. Yeah, I was going to say, or just stop coming to church because they're not, they're not caring for you. They're caring for themselves and they're like, you need to, you need to buck up and move on because it's oh it's over like there's nothing you can do to bring them back kind of thing and it's like well that's yeah i mean everyone knows that but like you're still here grieving and there's a healing process that has to take place and you know i don't know maybe the 
maybe it's like the the nature of relationships in church culture like don't don't like support that type of deep intimate care for other people like it's most likely going to be your close friends and relatives who really rally around you and continue to like check in on you and see how you're doing and stuff and if you've just been going to one of these like mile wide inch deep kind of churches you may not have those kind of relationships and you're just lost and you get you get to do a celebration of life funeral where you talk about all the good things they did in their lives yeah i mean i don't want to like those yeah. aren't necessarily wrong like usually people choose to have those yeah i feel like dark towards like the some churches um I feel like this is an opportunity. It's not kind of like, oh, if you're a big church or if you have lots of programs that like you can't do this, I feel like it's an opportunity. So for example, she was saying in this article that she started a Hannah service around mother's day, which was specifically like an opportunity for women and mothers like who have lost children or like couldn't have children to come and grieve. And she said it was for weeping and pouring out for remembering and being not being afraid to ask why. And she said that they would sit with women and hold space together. She says, I sang songs over them. We collectively practiced remembering and lamenting. We practiced something the American church often ignores. We practiced deep grief. And then she says, perhaps our churches should set aside planning meetings and sit and lament for the ways we've missed it. Really interesting kind of thoughts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is there space? Is there space in the church for grief? Something really, something to ponder. Um, and then <laughs> similarly, I feel like this is an opportunity that the idea of like a corporate larger cultural grief is something that we have gone through recently, like with the pandemic, like there was a lot of just like sadness, right? And yeah, then a lot of loss. Yeah. And then there was like a lot of like racial tension and loss there too that caused a lot of grief. And I feel like that was like such an opening for the church to step out of its buildings or call people in who wouldn't ordinarily have been interested. Do you know what I mean? But like take that space, the need to grieve like as a community. Yeah. And this article. To reach across those divides and like mourn for what has happened and yeah uh this article is called public lament and grief shepherding public lament and grief shepherding neglected roles of the church in these times by reverend dr Corey fields and this was written last year but like it was related to covid and stuff and basically he was saying like as a society we're dealing with grief and loss and he says woe to us the church if we don't recognize and live into our crucial and unique role in this situation And he says, two things are largely neglected, public lament in the church and grief shepherding. And he kind of gets into them in more detail. And I'll link, I'll link all these articles in the show notes. Um, That those ideas are so interesting because they like, in a lot of ways, they are really unique to the church. Like, obviously you can lament, like not knowing God and you can grieve not knowing God, but it's like, why don't we just step into these obvious places? I feel like, um, I don't know. What do you think? Or do you think it's not so obvious? Oh, I think it's outside comfort zones. Um, and again, it, it would be to like admit that it's not like 
all sunshine and roses and stuff like it's there are hard times and um yeah and i I suppose it might also be that like everyone's necessarily it's not it certainly is not a cookie cutter or like one size fits all type of ministry outreach because you know the the amount of time that people need to grieve like varies and it's just like kind of an unknown thing yeah. like how long how long will you be ministering to these people um which you know part of it that's like kind of part of the problem is that that's even something you're worried about but it it takes a really deep like emotional relationship to grieve with someone and you know you're gonna you got to get really vested in invested in someone's life um to like properly grieve with them yeah i don't know i don't know if that's i don't know if i would agree with that um and i don't think we have to like follow everyone through their grief until they're joyful on the other side especially people like outside the church in the community but like what if the church did something like held a service of lament or something like that or held a time of remembering or a time of silence or i mean in this article he talks about like the church has a language for lament like with our with scripture right which with the psalms and other bible verses and like with old prayers and stuff like that like we have words to put to it yeah and then also he talks about something that is key too which is that we sometimes forget that grief and loss extend beyond the experience of death of a loved one but of course like you can be grieved over like when things don't turn out the way that you think they will right or smaller things are like disappointment um yeah i don't know i know that there are some churches that have done like services like that where they just kind of like pray over COVID or grieve for COVID and invite people to come in. Um, I haven't heard of that many of them. I don't know. I'm interested. It's, it's something to think about for sure. Like how do we, how do we minister to people grieve with them? Yeah. Or even just grieve ourselves. Like, that's true. If you don't know how to grieve yourself. Um, the um, Oh, another thing that I think sometimes can limit us in our American culture is the idea of like comparative suffering. Like, are we allowed to grieve the loss of a pet or like a dashed dream or like a lost job or something when other people are suffering bigger things? I feel like a lot of times people are scared to say something or they don't want to make too big of a deal of something when they feel like somebody else has a bigger problem. Yeah. Like the world's full of toppers. Like they're like, Oh, you're sad because your dog died. Well, I know somebody whose mom has cancer and it's like, well, I don't don't know if do people actually do that. Or I think we just feel like people like we feel kind of silly going like, I'm so sad that this small thing made me sad. And then, Oh, there's absolutely people out there who will come, like, you know, they'll come into your social media stream or whatever thread and be like, you should not be sad about this because worse things in world happening. Yeah, that's helpful. And yeah, it was super helpful. Like, oh, I was, I was just looking for a little sympathy, but now you've made me feel a different kind of bad 
about the thing I was already feeling bad about. Um, yeah, comparative suffering is just, it, you know, everyone's going through something. And just because yours isn't as bad as someone's else doesn't mean that you can't you know, just lament it, Mm -hmm. like go through it and be sad about it. And like, uh, you know, take it to God for sure. But also like confide in other people who, whom you trust and, you know, care for you. Yeah. It can become worse because you're not dealing with it. Right. So oftentimes we wonder like, what can we do for other people? I mean, you were talking about like requiring a, an emotional connection to help someone grieve. And like, maybe that's true. I don't know. One thing that um, I think is really important to remember is just the idea of a ministry of presence, just like a physical presence with someone because grieving alone is terrible and we're not meant to grieve alone. We're supposed to be a community. So the idea of just sitting with someone, just being with someone, not even saying anything like from the book of Job and his friends sat with him for three days. Yeah. Yeah. And those, but that was the best. When they started talking, that was when <laughs> it went wrong. Yeah. But really, like them being there. I mean, I'm like, I'm sure everybody's experienced this. Like, if you are going through something hard and somebody else is there with you, it makes it so much easier. Um, and that was kind of the thing that made me think. Well, I don't know if we have to have like an emotional connection. Like sometimes you can be there for somebody who you don't even really know, and just like be with them. I mean, I've heard stories of the people share where they're like, this thing happened to me and I don't know the person and it just seems so sad. It's like, you can almost grieve with them just cause it's sad. Even if you don't know them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. This also kind of goes with what we'll talk about a little bit later about like, you know, uh, it's a good thing to sit with someone just be with them mm-hmm. and wait. Mm-hmm. Wait for them to talk and like want to discuss what they're going through because you don't know like what, how big their grief is, what stage of grief they're in. Right. Or like what they're actually experiencing. So like you can't, you can't accurately speak into it right so you have to wait for them to speak to you before doing like saying anything yeah and we have to be okay with the fact that like we can't fix it like some things can't be fixed right do you know what i mean obviously like jesus will bring everything to right right at the end but it's like somebody suffered a loss like you you can't fix it and (laughs) and you just have to sit in that right yeah yeah And, and yeah and you gotta you have to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to come to terms with that. Um, real quick, I just want to share something that's like kind of interesting on like a different side of the whole grief idea is um, there is a nun who is like well known on Twitter because she um, talks about memento mori, which is the idea of like remembering your death. And so like meditating on your own death and um, I can link to her. She is um, sister Teresa Alethea and um, like I heard her story. She's a super interesting story because she used to be an atheist, but just the idea of like that 
the interesting thing is she started reflecting on death and tweeting about it. And now she has like 47,000 followers. And it's kind of like interesting because if you read through some of the stuff that it's, it's kind of like can be a space where people can talk about things where you wouldn't ordinarily be able to talk about things like death and sadness and concerns and stuff like that. Yeah. And it provides a space as we talked about before. Yeah. It's kind of cool um, to use social media in such a way and like, I don't know. I thought it was really neat. Um, and I've heard her, like I said, I've heard her story and it's super interesting. And she's, um, anyway, it's kind of like a different way of going at the idea of like death and sadness and the inevitability of like grief and stuff in our life. <laughs> um, okay. Oh yeah. Two more things. Um, that I, the, one of the things that churches do well, I think, is some churches do have like really helpful programs for people grieving. Um, I know GriefShare is one of them. You can go to griefshare.org to see if they have a group near you. And then I've also heard of one specifically called Shadowlands Grief Recovery, which is a six-week program that you can look that up as well. There may be others. I don't know. Those are just the two that I know of. And of course, those are great programs um, for grieving people in the church. And then also, like you could invite somebody who you know is grieving to attend that as well. Okay, so Greg, you're going to get us into the practical. Yeah, some do's and don'ts about like being with someone uh, or, you know, responding to someone who's going through something. So these are some good things, uh, some poor things to say, rather, first, uh, followed by some good things to say. They're from the, from Grief Share leaders. We didn't make them up. Yeah, yeah. These, these are, are official. These are legit. <laughs> um, some poor things to say. Don't say these things. They lived a full life. They are so much better off in heaven. Don't you think it's time you moved on? And here they they note that saying uh, moving forward is a much better phrase than saying move on. Um think of all the sadness they don't have to go through now that's like why would you say that uh i know how you feel uh which you don't like you don't you suffered your own loss and that's yours you don't know how they feel exactly um and if you need anything give me a call and they it says here in parentheses they won't and you know they won't um and i've heard a couple of these before um, and I try to not use, use them. So some good things to say or do, uh, just be a supporting presence, uh, and be a good listener. Uh, give them freedom to speak of their loved ones, even through tears. Like don't, don't admonish them or say like, try to mm -hmm. change the subject or anything. Like if they're ready to talk about it, then you need to let them talk about it. Uh, send a card or email or message. Uh, message them on social media or Facebook uh, on the one-year anniversary so they know that you haven't forgotten. Uh, put their death on your calendar to remind you in the years ahead. Um, people are amazed when you can still recall their loved one's death because they certainly do. I know. that's. I like, think that's the idea. I mean, my dad, my dad goes and visits my mom's grave every year. Um because it's hard mm -hmm. like you know I, 
they're like in the run up to their death they're no doubt like reliving all the things that they went through and then then, Mm -hmm. and then the anniversary of their death and you know so if you if you reach out to them and say something or you know you send them something in the mail um it just helps them to know that they're not alone. Like, you know, right. I think the idea is people think, Oh, well, I don't want to like make them sad or like bring it up as if they don't remember or they're not sad. Right. Because, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. remember. Yeah. Remember how you're not supposed to say move on. It's because they don't, because that's a thing that happened to them and they're, they're not going to, it's extremely unlikely that they will get amnesia and completely forget, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, some other ones are offer to bring them to church and sit with them. That's a big one. Like don't offer to bring them to church and then ditch them. Like, you know, or like be like, you should come to church. And then you make like no effort to help them with the discomfort of being in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and offer to do a task that you know would be helpful. Like, as opposed to saying like, let me know if there's anything I can do. Right. You actually say, Hey, I'm going to come over and like, mow your lawn mm-hmm. or clean your house or some other errand um that they would need help with um and then it says here after a while invite them to a social event and bring them um and i i suppose that's like to help them like be reintroduced um when they're ready to like Right. Being around groups of people again. Right, yeah. Um, because they, you know, they may have very well been involved in different social groups, but it was with the loved one that mm-hmm. they lost. So. Yeah. Those are really good to remember. Um, okay. So we've talked a lot about a lot of heavy things, but we always want to end with a bright spot because there's hope and suffering. And I don't want to like under underestimate that because though we grieve and suffer while we're on the earth god will bring it all to an end and we will suffer no longer and then even more comforting in our present suffering is that god is with us and he promises never to leave us he's the source of all life and all comfort and he can bring us through the dark dark valleys into joy again weeping lasts in the night but joy comes in the morning almighty god Father of mercies and giver of comfort, deal graciously, we pray, with all who mourn, that, casting all their care on you, they may know the consolation of your love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all of our listeners and are praying for you. If you'll take two minutes to rate and review our brand new podcast, we would be so grateful. For more information on today's episode, head to theologymeetsreality.com. Until next time, follow Christ, not Christ culture.